What's up, everybody? I hope we're all having a great day. My name is Keith Jacobs. This is crazy opinionated. Maybe not the opinion that you want to hear, but the opinion that you need to hear. And I, I you know, trade deadline just passed. And the reason why it took me so long to make another episode is is specifically for that reason. I uh, I really wanted the trade deadline to to uh, to pass to you know develop. And holy crap, did it develop? Um, I mean, wow. There's just a lot of stuff. So. Um, what I'm going to get into, what I'm going to get into first is, um, something that's a little bit, a little bit personal to me. So I'm a Mets fan. Um, and, uh, what's amazing about what I find amazing about Mets fans is how unbelievably hypocritical we are. Myself included. We complain nonstop about the product on the field. And then when, and then when. Any general manager, whether that have been Sandy Alderson, Omar Minaya, or currently Brody Van Wagenen, does something to improve the roster, we complain about that too. And I really don't get it. Um, so the New York Mets, in, a, uh, in, in what I will admit was a little bit of a confusing move, um, traded Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson to the Toronto Blue Jays for Marcus Stroman. Um, and they did this while being under 500, about six games out of the wild card, about 11 games out of the division. And um, I will admit, if if they had done this, if Brody had done this in the off season that we just, the previous off season that we just had, or this upcoming off season, it would have made more sense to me. Um, but to do it in the middle of the season was a little bit weird, but I still love it. Um, Stroman is an unbelievable pitcher. 2.96 ERA. That's good for not only 12th in all of baseball, but 5th in the American League. And he's doing that while playing in the American League East with the Yankees. One of the best lineups in baseball. Boston, they can hit. Uh, Tampa Bay has some decent offensive players. And so now he comes over, and, and it's not even just the pitching side of things. He's a big game dude. He's got an attitude. He's got fire, and I love him. Um, and if you don't believe me that he's a big game pitcher, go take a look at what he did in the World Baseball Classic against Puerto Rico. Oh, it's the World Baseball Classic. It doesn't count. I, I don't care. I don't care. That's still a big league lineup that he was facing. That lineup featured Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Javier Baez, and Eddie Rosario. Like, those guys are beasts. So I don't want to hear it. Um, he's a big game dude. And listen, the other part of it is is that you need to spend money to make money is the old adage, right? So you need to spend prospects to get winning players. I don't understand the conservative nature of, of Major League Baseball. Everybody is so worried about giving up these future guys. Who cares? I mean, the Astros, I'll talk about them in a minute. They gave up like four of their best prospects to go get Zach Granke. And you know why? Because they're smart. And because they want to win now. Because windows for, windows for championships and windows for competing close really quickly. But you know what, but you know what takes a... You know what you can do over a long period of time? Build up a farm system. You can get all of that stuff back through, you know, draft picks. Um, years of being bad, you can do deadline selling deals and, and acquire a bunch of prospects. You know, that you can do. You can make that up. You know what you can't make up? Windows for championships. Windows for championships shut quickly. Now listen, do I think, am I going to sit here and say that the Mets are, are, are a championship team just because they added Marcus Stroman? No, absolutely not. I'm not naive. But look, they're 13-5 and five since the All-Star break. Now they've won seven in a row. Since the All-Star break, they have the best ERA in the major leagues. You know, Conforto's hitting well. McNeil's been hitting well. Alonzo's been struggling a little bit. Um, but that happens with every rookie. 
Cano looks like he's turning it around. You can see Ahmed Rosario playing with energy on both sides of the ball. J.D. Davis, ever since he entered the lineup, has been hitting really well. And the bullpen has been much better. Now, granted, I, I'm still not happy with Edwin Diaz's command of his fastball. It's been atrocious all year long. But it's getting better. Um, and, and the other thing is, too, is you've got to take a look at the prospects that they gave up. Anthony Kay, look, good prospect. 24 years old, lefty, having a really good year in, in double-A. Then he went up to triple-A and he struggled. Um... But, listen, I know he would have been a guy next year that could have possibly competed for a rotation spot. But his ceiling is a middle-of-the-rotation type of pitcher. I mean, that's a good pitcher. That's a quality starter. But that's nobody to, that, that, that's, that's nobody to hold in you know, such high esteem. And Simeon Woods-Richardson, while you know, that dude has a ton of potential, good arm, big-bodied kid, projectable. He's 18. He probably wouldn't be ready for the big leagues for another three years. You expect me to wait for that? I've been waiting for a championship my whole life as a Mets fan. I've been waiting for another opportunity to go back to the World Series like we did in 2015. And so in order to, in order to get that opportunity, you have to sacrifice some stuff. You can't be so conservative. And it's really amazing how these teams now are becoming so incredibly attached to these prospects. Now, look, I get it. There's so much young talent in the game. This wave of... Honestly, I kind of blame it on the wave of young talent. Because if there wasn't all of these kids coming up at 20, 21 years old, you know, the Fernando Tatises and the Vlad Guerrero Juniors and... You know, all of these young kids, if they weren't coming up and doing so well, then everybody wouldn't be holding these prospects in such high regard. But what you have to understand is, is that you have to give up. You got, it's the old adage. Like I said, you got to spend money to make money. And I have no problem with what the New York Mets did. Because even if they, even if they whether they make the playoffs this year or not, they're set up really well for 2020. DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, Max, Wheeler, you're telling me you wouldn't take that rotation one through five? Stuff-wise, that might be the best rotation in baseball. Obviously, we'll see how they do. Um, so that's what I wanted to touch on. So I want to, now what I want to do is I want to get into my winners and losers uh, of the trade deadline. Obviously, everybody does this. Um, so let me start my, uh, my, my number one winner is the Astros. Now a lot of people are, now a lot of some people especially Dodgers fans are probably going to push back on what I have to say. But this trade deadline, the Dodgers, excuse me, the Astros have officially made themselves the best team in Major League Baseball. And if you don't agree with that, then there's absolutely no argument that you can make against this statement. They're the best team in the American League. And I really don't think that it's close. I really don't. That starting rotation one through three, Verlander, Cole, Greinke, had fun. And mind you, Wade Miley is their number four, and he's had a really good year. I saw something um, on Twitter the other day, and it was that the Astros currently hold four of the top 15 placeholders in Major League Baseball for ERA. Verlander, Cole, Greinke, Miley. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. And then that lineup is nice. Bregman, Correa, Altuve, Springer, Gurriela's playoff experience. This kid Jordan Alvarez over there, my God, does he have some pop. And then their bullpen, Robert, look, their bullpen is not great. Roberto Osuna is a great closer. Brad Peacock, when he comes back, is a pretty good reliever. They get Joe Biagini, who is a really, really good breaking ball pitcher. He's going to be a good reliever for them. And the one guy that I think I, I think could be one of their X factors is, is Aaron Sanchez. I think Aaron Sanchez could be, to the Houston Astros, what... Nathan Yavaldi was to the Boston Red Sox last year. 
He's a dude who has starting experience, but he's got such an unbelievable arm that I would have no problem bringing him out of the bullpen in high leverage situations. And if there was any person in all of baseball that needed a change of scenery, by God, it was Aaron Sanchez. I mean, for God's sake, a couple of years ago, we thought that that dude was going to grow into a staff ace. And now he's got one of the highest ERAs and walk rates in Major League Baseball. He needed a change of scenery. And that's what he got. And there is no, and and just strictly on the rotation, besides maybe the Dodgers and maybe Cleveland, there's no rotation on these highly competitive teams that even comes close to competing with the Houston Astros. The Yankees, no. Boston, no. Tampa, I would say maybe Blake Snell, but that's about it. Oakland, no. The Twins, no. I would say Cleveland, when they have Kluber healthy, you got Shane Bieber. And if they were to have Carlos Carrasco, I know Carrasco is is recovering from his diagnosis from leukemia. Uh, But one through three, that matches up decent. The Dodgers match up decent. Other than that, there is no one through three that matches up with with Houston. It's not even like not even close. I would say stuff wise, the Mets, but that's just stuff wise. Potential, the Mets, that's just potential. But out of all of these competing teams right now that are going for a World Series, outside of the Dodgers and maybe Cleveland when everybody's healthy, there is no team that matches up one through three with Houston. Now, my second winner is Atlanta. And um, I really love what they did. Atlanta went out and they fixed the back end of their bullpen. Now, that's really what I thought they needed. They went out and they got Shane Green from the Detroit Tigers, who is just having a ridiculous year for Detroit. Like, like ridiculous. 38 innings this season, a 1.18 ERA, a 0.87 whip. He saved 22 games, 43 strikeouts and 38 innings. He's got a great breaking ball, good sinker ball guy, throws about 92 to 94. Not blowing anybody away, but he's a really good pitcher. And then they also went out and they got Mark Melanson from the San Francisco Giants. Now, Melanson used to be, a few years ago with Pittsburgh, one of the best closers in baseball. And then he kind of fell a little bit off of everybody's radar. He was having an all right year for the San Francisco Giants. He's still a really, he's still a solid pitcher. He's having an okay year for the Giants, three and a half ERA. Uh, five holds, one save, 44 strikeouts in 46 innings, <clears throat> only 16 walks. Um, but this is a dude that has back end of the bullpen experience. He was a closer, obviously, like I said, for a very long time with Pittsburgh. Um, and he's still got really good stuff. And there was no bigger indication that Atlanta needed to make these moves Then on the day of the trade deadline, when Luke Jackson and Sean Newcomb proceeded to blow a save against against Washington. Now, they went on to win that game, but that game was also a microcosm of what the real story is, which was Atlanta really needed to improve the back end of their bullpen. And I like Luke Jackson. I like Sean Newcomb. They got great stuff, but they're not... Neither of them are closers. It's different. Um, and you know, and another one that I really liked, I liked what Washington did also. Washington kind of took the opposite approach of, of Atlanta. Atlanta went with quality. Washington just went with quantity. They just went out and they got a bunch of stuff. Uh, they got Daniel Hudson from the Toronto Blue Jays. They got Rowanus and Rowanus Elias. I probably screwed up the pronunciation and Hunter Strickland from the, from the Seattle Mariners. Now, Strickland is Strickland throws 100. Um, he closed for a little bit this year for uh, Seattle up until he, you know, he, he had a, a, a decently long stint on the IL. Um, 
Elias or Elias or however you pronounce it uh, is is more of a, a lefty, a kind of a just a, a you know kind of just like a, a middle relief type of guy. Good breaking ball, thirty one years old. His ERA is a little bit high; it's at four four zero, but. He's a guy in that bullpen that can kind of compliment, you know, another lefty to help them out. And then they went out and got Daniel Hudson from Toronto, who was a starter not that long ago. He's a hard-throwing right-hander, three ERA this year. He's got eight holds, 48 strikeouts, and 48 innings. Um, so they went out and they got quantity, and that's really what they they, they needed a bunch of stuff because outside of Outside of Sean Doolittle, this bullpen is atrocious. It was terrible. And um, my final winner is the Indians. So the Indians went out. They traded Trevor Bauer. They got Yasiel Puig from the Reds. Fran Mil Reyes from the Padres. And then a couple of... And then a couple of younger players to go along with it in a three-team trade that sent Trevor Bauer to Cincinnati and top prospect Taylor Trammell to San Diego. The Indians also got lefty uh, Logan Allen, who's a really, really nice starter. He's got good stuff. Uh, young kid, 20, uh, he's a pretty young kid. He's 22 years old, lefty, pretty good stuff. Um, they also got minor league infielder Victor Nova. Uh, from the Padres, and Scott Moss from the Reds. And this is a trade that I think works out for everybody. Um, San Diego gets a guy in Taylor Trammell who, 21 years old, he's had a little bit of a down year for, uh, a down year in the minor leagues, but has unbelievable potential. Left-handed hitter, good speed, good outfielder, good power for his position, can become a, a, a mainstay in center. Uh, the the Cincinnati Reds got another incredible rotation piece to go along with Luis Castillo as they continue to try to build their roster. They have some nice players. Uh, Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez, uh, Luis Castillo, obviously. Rysel, I liked that they kept Rysel Iglesias. Um, and then, the, pod, and then the, the Indians, they get what they needed, which was some power... Excuse me. Some power bats in the outfield. Uh, Puig is a Puig is a dude who's having a. He started off really slow, but he's having pretty decent year. Two fifty three, three hundred four, four seventy six slash line. Twenty two home runs, sixty one RBIs, fifteen stolen bases. Now what's hilarious is that Cleveland just traded for him, and he just got suspended for being caught up in that fight uh, with the. Uh, with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Fran Mil Reyes has ridiculous power. 24 big dudes. 6'5", 275. Huge guy. 255, 313, 532 slash line. 27 home runs. Only 46 RBIs, which I think is a little weird. Um, he does strike out a lot. He's, at, he's got 94 strikeouts on the year. Uh, he's projected to end up with 141. But I think this trade worked out for everybody. The, the the Padres get the get get a premier outfielder that they could use for the future. The Reds get a frontline starter to go along with Castillo, and Cleveland gets pop in the outfield and some young guys to go along with it. So I liked that all around. Uh, now I'm gonna get into my losers. Um, look, I know I know St. Louis didn't do anything. Um, but I'm re I, I don't really love, I'm not a huge fan of what Milwaukee did. I think Milwaukee really should have gotten a starter. And I know they don't really have a whole lot of pieces in their minor league system to trade for a guy like a Bumgarner. But I still think they should have done something to get a starter. Maybe a Matthew Boyd from uh, Detroit. But the one team that I really want to highlight that at one point I considered the best team in baseball. The New York Yankees. They are my number one loser. And the reason why they are my number one loser is because they had one 
incredibly glaring, incredibly obvious need and did nothing about it. And you know what? You want to know why they did nothing about it? Because they were too stingy with their young players. That's why. They wouldn't give away Florio. They wouldn't give away Frazier. They were too stingy. And they didn't address an obvious need. Starting pitching. Luis Severino has not thrown one single inning all year long. Tanaka's been up and down. Paxton's been up and down. Domingo Herman's been good, but are you trusting Domingo Herman to be your frontline guy in a playoff series? Absolutely not. CC Sabathia is getting up there in age. And look, I know they have a good bullpen. I get it. I get it. But you want to know what happens to teams that have a really good bullpen but an ass starting rotation? What happens is, is the starting rotation can't go, can't consistently go deep into games, which means you tax the bullpen by having to use them repeatedly because your starters aren't making it past the fifth inning. For example, Tanaka, day of the tread deadline, dude gets pulled out in the fifth inning. Taxes the bullpen more. And you want to know what the worst part about it is? Is that the Yankees, they kind of just gave up and they were just like, okay, we're going to go for bullpen. Uh, I'm sorry, what? You're going to go for bullpen. Really, that's what you need. When you have Chad Green, Zach Britton, Araldis Chapman, Tommy Canley, you're going to go for bullpen guys? Now look, I know Dellen Batances has been hurt. But, like, you're going to tax the crap out of your bullpen because these starters can't consistently go deep into games. And then by the time you get to, by the time you get to the playoffs and you got to go up against a team like Houston or maybe Cleveland when they make it past the first round of the wild card, your rotation does not stack up. Because guys like Garrett Cole, guys like Justin Verlander, Zach Granke, Shane Bieber, Corey Kluber, Jose Berrios. When they're healthy, they're not giving up the baseball after the fifth inning. They're not giving up the baseball, and their bullpen is more fresh than yours. I don't care how good your arms are. It doesn't make any sense to me. This starting rotation, mark my words... This starting rotation will be the sole reason that the New York Yankees do not make it to the World Series. Because it's a proven fact. I don't care how good of a lineup you are. You cannot slug your way to a a World Series championship. You just can't do it. Because if you could, then the Yankees would win all the time. If you could, then the Texas Rangers would have had three World Series back when they had Josh Hamilton. And if you could, then the San Francisco Giants wouldn't have won a couple of world championships. Because, let's face it, the Giants did not have a premier offense in any of their three title runs. But what they had was incredible pitching, both in the starting rotation and in their bullpen. Notice how I didn't say they had incredible pitching in their bullpen and their starters were eh. You cannot win a World Series by slugging your way there. It's just not humanly possible. And it does not make any sense to me that they wouldn't go out and address a number one need. I don't get it. I thought Brian Cashman was smarter than that. But it kind of goes back to the point of these, these teams are being so incredibly stingy with, with their young guys. You're the New York Yankees. All you should care about is winning championships, man. And it should be even more of a priority now, considering your entire team has been riddled with injuries. First 88 games, they had 87 different lineups. They've had 28 different, st- different players on the injured list this year. 28! 
excuse me, not 28. They've had 28 different injury list transactions this year. 28. That is absurd. And you don't go out and you and don't fill a need? Are you kidding me? I know Trevor Bauer and Marcus Stroman kind of got away from you in the later in the earlier part of the trade deadline, but no Robbie Ray? And I get it. Zach Ranke, Mike Miner, Madison Bumgarner, all no trade cost to the Yankees. Even if even if the Yankees would have went out and gotten Matt Boyd from the Tigers, I would have been okay with it. Because, hey, at least they did something to that starting rotation. But they didn't do anything. And that pitching staff, that starting rotation, is going to be the reason why they do not make it to the World Series. And it's an embarrassment. Whew. I need a drink. Mm. Ah. Okay, so my second loser is the St. Louis Cardinals. The St. Louis Cardinals right now are in, the, in a very, very tight division race. The Brewers, the Cardinals, and the, and the Cubs are all pretty much separated by a game or two in, in, the, in the National League Central. And you did nothing? Nothing at all. You lost Jordan Hicks to Tommy John surgery. Could have gotten a bullpen piece. Matt Carpenter's on the DL. They could have gotten some hitting. They could have gotten a rotation piece. Even the Cubs. The Cubs didn't really do much. They got Tony Kemp, who's a really nice utility player with great speed. They got Nick Castellanos, who's a big power bat. Good doubles hitter. Even the Brewers, while I, I'm not super impressed with what they did, I don't think I don't think Drew Pomerantz and Ray Black are going to put them over the top. But at least it's something. St. Louis, you better damn well hope that Paul Goldschmidt keeps carrying it. By the way, shout out to Paul Goldschmidt. He's been a beast recently. He's been on a tear. Um, but you didn't do anything. And it's these teams that don't do anything. Look, I, if you don't do anything, that means you have a lot of confidence in your roster. And that's fine if you have a great roster. The Cardinals don't really have an incredible roster. They don't really have a great bullpen. Their starting rotation is kind of hit and miss. And now Carpenter's on the DL. I don't know, man. It's just another one of those things. And then finally, my, uh, my third loser of the trade deadline is the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, I like Corey Dickerson. Corey Dickerson's a good player. Won a gold glove last year. Could certainly hit. Career high of 27 home runs a few years ago with the Rockies. He's got good power. Good gap hitter. He's a good player. And I think part of the reason why they got him is because Jay Bruce has been dealing with an oblique injury. But I have this but I have the same problem with them that I do with the New York Yankees, except at least the Yankees have a bullpen. This Philadelphia pitching staff outside of Aaron Nola is crap. And I don't want to hear anything about Drew Smiley. I got I live in I, I live in the South Jersey Greater Philadelphia area, and so because of that, I grew up with I grew up with Phillies fans. I'm a ninety percent of my best friends are Phillies fans, and all of them are sitting there telling me that Drew Smiley is going to be to this team what Cliff Lee was back in like back in like two thousand nine two thousand ten. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that. No, he's not. No. I don't want to hear that after a couple of starts. Because the rest of your rotation is crap. It's so bad that they've had to transfer Pavetta to the bullpen. Velasquez has been in and out of the bullpen. It's horrible. Eflin is in the bullpen now. Arietta has been pitching with a bone spur in his elbow. For God's sake, get the surgery, dude. 
It's not going to get any better. The more that you try to throw with that bone spur in your elbow, it's not going to magically go away. It's not like if you keep throwing, the bone spur is just going to shake out of your elbow eventually. That's not how it works, dude. It's going to get worse. Get some surgery, for God's sake. I don't know who his advisor is, but somebody just shake him or like hit him over the head with a frying pan. But outside of Aaron Nola, this pitching staff is garbage. This bullpen is garbage. And the worst part is, is that two of their best arms, Sir Anthony Dominguez and, and David Robertson, are both out for the season. And they did nothing to address the bullpen. You got Hector Neris, who I don't re- I'm not impressed with as a closer to begin with. And a bunch of random dudes. And then three failed starters in Pavetta, Eflin, and Velasquez. They don't have a pitching staff, which is, and this is embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I didn't expect them to win the World Series, but the first step when you sign a guy like Bryce Harper to a $330 million contract, I better see you in the playoffs in the first year of that deal. Straight up. I better see you in the playoffs. Because if I don't see you in the playoffs, that tells me one of two things. Either A, and this is, this is the one that I firmly believe in, your GM is not doing the right job and needs to be fired. I personally think that if they don't make the playoffs, Matt Klintak should go. Or B, maybe the contract wasn't worth it. And now look, we don't know the second question. We will not know the answer to that until a few years down the road. But by God, if you're going to sign a dude to, th- to a $330 million contract, I better see you in the playoffs. All of the blame, aside from the pitching, all of the blame should go to Matt Klentak. Because Matt Klentak did not properly build this pitching staff. And he didn't do anything over the trade deadline to build the pitching staff. Wow, Jason Vargas, a fly ball pitcher in a, pitcher in a hitter's park. That's going to be fun. I'm sure that'll work out. A dude that throws no harder than 86 miles an hour in one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks in Major League Baseball. Yep, that makes sense. That's going to work. And they don't have a bullpen. Aside from Aaron Nola and Drew Smiley for two starts, they don't really have a rotation. Other than maybe Vargas, if you want to argue that. It's bad. I expected Philadelphia. I expected Philadelphia in the playoffs. I expect the Phillies to be in the playoffs. I expect them to be one of the one of the wildcard teams. Because if they are not, then Matt Klintak needs to go. Because this is just that is an atrocity. It's one thing to have, it's one thing to be like the Yankees, where you have a really good bullpen, but your starting rotation's not that great, or you flip it, where you have a really good starting rotation, but your bullpen's kind of eh. But to have both be terrible? I mean, Christ, take a look at your GM. That's where it lies. It's horrible, man. Is absolutely horrible. Just terrible. And and the trade and so that that's really it um, for the trade deadline. I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, I watched it on TV. I, I really did not expect the Granky one. The Granky trade was the one that threw me off the most. And um, real quick before I transition topics. I just want to share something really cool um, real quick. So I don't know if you guys, this is awesome. If you don't know what this is, go look this up on Twitter. So there's this kid and his name is Nathan Patterson. And um, he was in Coors Field a couple of weeks ago and he threw 
And he was at the Coors Field Speed Pitch Challenge in there. You know, like where you take a baseball and you throw it into like a, into like a tarp or something. And there's like a, there's a radar gun over there. You know those challenges that you get at ballparks? Anyway, he was, he was in this ballpark and he threw, he topped out at 96 miles an hour on this radar gun. And two weeks later, my man got a contract with the Oakland Athletics. That is so cool. I think that is, I think that's the coolest thing ever. Like really, honestly, that is, that is so awesome. And it's one of those things where you could take a look at it and be like, Hey, you never know. It's one of those, you never know type of stories, which I love, I love that type of stuff, man. I think that type of stuff is really, really cool. Um, so now I want to move on to the NBA. Um, and this is a story that is, you know, recently developing, you know, really kind of just came out today. So David Griffin is the, is the general manager for the New Orleans Pelicans. And, um, he came out and he had some comments about his time as the Cavs general manager and working with LeBron James. And this was in an interview, not only with Sports Illustrated, but he also went on the Woj pod, which is uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, his podcast, the, uh, the NBA insider for um, ESPN. And on working with LeBron James, he said, and I quote, everything we did was so inorganic and unsustainable and frankly not fun. I was miserable. Literally the moment we won the championship, I knew I was going to leave. There was no way I was going to stay for any amount of money. And you know, one person, and this, and this can be applied to just about anything in life. When one person says something about somebody, it's just an opinion. When multiple people start to say the same thing about a person... Then the, then the guy that you're talking about kind of has to look at himself in the mirror. Because then it kind of becomes a, 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 you know, more of a concrete fact at that point. You know, Pat Riley has said it about his heat, the time, with the, uh, time with the Miami Heat. Kyrie left because of this reason. Kevin Durant last year pointed out, like, look. I don't want to play with LeBron. It's toxic. There's a toxicity in that environment. If it's just one dude saying something, it's an opinion. If it's multiple people saying the same thing about a person, it's starting to become a concrete fact. And look, this is not news to anybody. This is not news to everybody. Everybody knows this about LeBron James. That LeBron James, when he goes to a place, it's kind of a circus. And it's not even just about who LeBron is as a person being the global superstar that he is. It's about all the stuff that he likes to do. LeBron kind of likes to play pseudo-GM. You know, when he was in Cleveland, he was, you know, selecting his guys. He handpicked Kevin Love over Andrew Wiggins. He would handpick guys like Larry Nance Jr. and J.R. Smith. And I'm sure he's probably doing the same thing with the Lakers. Now, I don't think he did a great job of it last year if he, if he was the one that chose Lance Stevenson and, and JaVale McGee and Michael Beasley and those guys, guys who can't really shoot to be on that team. But this is just who LeBron is. This is just what it is. LeBron is just this type of a guy. He brings chaos and he brings, he, he brings a circus and when he leaves, it becomes chaotic. When he left Cleveland... It was, a, it was a complete dumpster fire. They were one of the worst teams in the NBA. When Miami left, when he left Miami, excuse me, they stopped making the playoffs. Like immediately. Now they became okay in, in, in recent years, but like immediately after they left, he was not, he wasn't good. They weren't good. And this is, look, LeBron... I think is one of the few players that I can really say this about. He's earned that. Like he's earned the ability to go in 
to an organization and be able to kind of mix and match and play pseudo GM and do whatever he wants in there. He has gained the right to have the power to have say over how a team is built. Because, that, because that's how good he is. Because he is one of the only guys that you could build a roster of scraps around. And he will take you to a championship. He's done it multiple times. He did it back in 2007 with that, whatever the hell that roster was. He did it in Cleveland when his, when his second best player was Matthew Della Vadova in, in the NBA Finals. He kept them competitive. He's done it. Even before, even before he got hurt this year with the Lakers, weren't we all gonna, weren't we all pretty much unanimously agreeing that the Lakers were going to make the playoffs and probably be a top five seed? And that was LeBron playing with a, a bunch of weirdos and a bunch of kids. And they were still going to be a top five seed in the playoffs. So he's earned this right. Am I saying that it is okay? What he does, not necessarily, because it can be a little chaotic. It can cause a rift between the front office and the team. Because maybe what the plan that the GM has to execute and the plan that LeBron wants to execute don't, don't meet up. Don't see eye to eye. But LeBron has, LeBron has earned this right to be able to do that. He really has. Um, so now, the final thing that I want to talk about is I want to talk about the NFL Top 100 list. And every year this list comes out and every year this list in some form of fashion bothers me. So, um, you know, they brought out they, they, they brought out the top 100 list this year, and Aaron Donald was the number one player. I don't really necessarily have a problem with that. I don't really have a problem with it, but here's, here, here's, here's the thing about this list. What I really don't love about this list is that they're taking into account more what the, what the player just did in the previous season as opposed to who the actual better player is. I'll give you an example. The quarterback position. You mean to tell me that Carson Wentz is the 96th best player in the NFL? Really? You mean to tell me that when Carson Wentz is healthy, that dude is not one of the top quarterbacks in the league? You are out of your mind. Did you see what he did two years ago? Even, even this previous year, with a broken back, a down year was near 70% completion percentage. A top 10 QBR in the NFL. In fact, through his first 11 games this season, they were comparable to the numbers that Tom Brady put up in his MVP season two years ago. Now look, I get it. He was injured. I understand it. But you mean to tell me that Carson Wentz is the 96th best player in the league? You mean to tell me that, can't, that guys like Cam Newton and Kirk Cousins and Matt Ryan and Baker Mayfield, who hasn't even played more than two seasons yet, is better than Carson Wentz? You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Plain and simple. Now, the one that I will, the one that I will say, um, that I'm a little bit that that I fight on. Also, I also fight on Deshaun Watson. So Deshaun Watson last year was ranked the 50th best player in the top 100 on this list, and now he's 51. And Baker Mayfield is ahead of him. And I like Baker Mayfield, but think about what Deshaun Watson has been working with. Wolf Fuller, his number two receiver and one of the better deep threats in the NFL when healthy, has not been healthy. He's had multiple ACL tears. He's got, a, he's got an average running back. 
He's never had an he's never had an above average tight end. And his offensive line through his entire through the entire what has been a short tenure of his career has been crap. It's been so bad in fact that he could not travel to road games on the plane with the team. He had to be bust to home games because he couldn't fly because he had a punctured lung because of because his offensive line was crap. Because he kept getting knocked on his ass every two minutes. He's had an ACL tear. He's had a punctured lung. He's had issues with ribs. And Deshaun Watson, in spite of all of that, Last season, 68.3% completion percentage, over 4,000 yards, 26 touchdowns, 9 picks, a passer rating of 103. Like, are we joking? You're going to tell me that he's the 50th best quarterback. I don't think we're taking, and this is another problem that I have with this list, I don't think they take into account what people are working with. I really don't. I don't think people are taking that into account. Like Deshaun Watson, I know he's only played a couple of years in the NFL, but not once has he had an even marginally decent offensive line. And he's still putting up over 4,000 yards, 68% completion percentage, over 100 passer rating, and leading his team to 11 wins. You know what that kind of reminds me of? That kind of reminds me of another guy in his division, Andrew Luck. When Andrew Luck came into the league with the Indianapolis Colts, that roster was absolutely horrible. Outside of, outside of a good receiver or two, that, that core, that roster, that offensive line was atrocious. And in spite of that, Luck not only put up great numbers, but went 11 and 5, 11 and 5, 11 and 5 and led them to a couple, led them to the playoffs in an AFC Championship game. And was getting knocked on his ass every single time and ended up having to miss a couple of seasons because he was injured, because he had shoulder problems. And I fear my biggest fear for Deshaun Watson, believe it or not, is becoming Andrew Locke. And that's no disrespect to Andrew Luck. I love Andrew Luck. What I mean by that is, my biggest fear for him is becoming injury prone and becoming beaten up the way that Andrew Luck was and having to, and having to be out of football for a little bit. And what's even worse about it is that Deshaun Watson has a smaller frame than Andrew Luck. He's 6'2", 216. That's relatively skinny. But this top 100 list is not taking into account what he's working with. All that Deshaun Watson has is DeAndre Hopkins. Who's got a better running back core? The Browns. Nick Chubb? Who's got a better wide receiving core all around? The Browns. Jarvis Landry. Antonio Callaway. Who's got a better tight end? The Browns. David Njoku. I can't even name the tight end for the, for the Houston Texans. Can't even name him. Offensive line, the Browns. And that was last year, and that was when they had Kevin Zeitler last year, who was one of the top who was one of the top pass blocking guards in the NFL last season. Now the only thing that I will give Deshaun Watson is that he had a better defense than Cleveland, statistically speaking. But I mean, like, damn. He is not the 51st player on this list. He's a beast. And he's got, outside of DeAndre Hopkins, really nothing special to work with. I don't know, this list This list is always incredibly interesting to me. It really is. Um, real quickly, something I want to touch on. The last thing that I'm going to talk about is uh, the Michael Thomas extension. That's the last thing I want to talk about. So, so Michael Thomas got a really big extension from the uh, uh, from the New Orleans Saints. 
A five-year extension, $100 million. That makes him the highest-paid receiver in the NFL. And you know what? By God, he's worth it, man. Michael Thomas is worth it. And the reason why he's worth it is because of the situation that his quarterback is in. Drew Brees is getting older. You cannot deny that just like Tom Brady, just like Phillip Rivers, at the end of the season last year, Drew Brees' arm strength started to deteriorate. He wasn't throwing the deep ball as much. He didn't have the same zip on his passes that he did earlier in the year. So a guy like Michael Thomas, who was a top five receiver, is, is huge for him. Massive for him. And it also takes pressure off of guys like Alvin Kamara. Who, if you have a running back that, that is a focal point of an offense, your defense can gear around that. But with a guy like Michael Thomas, they, a guy like Michael Thomas makes Drew Brees better. As Drew Brees is also making Michael Thomas better. The Saints need Michael Thomas for the sake of the fact that Drew Brees is just getting old, man. It is what it is. And the same thing is probably going to end up happening this year where the Saints are going to get deeper deeper into the season and Drew Brees' arm strength is going to start to wear down. That's just how it is. That's called getting older in the NFL. It's what Eli it's what's happening to Eli Manning right now. It's what happened to Tom Brady last season. It's what happened to Philip Rivers last season. These older quarterbacks, when you get later into the year, your arm strength deteriorates. So having a top receiver like Michael Thomas makes all the difference in the world. And I can't wait to see the New Orleans Saints this year because I really think that because one of two outcomes is going to happen for the Saints. Either they're going to take this emotional loss that they had last year. And by the way, just a small little tidbit on that. This court thing, this Louisiana court thing with Roger Goodell in them, it's ridiculous. You lost the game. Stop complaining. Get on the field and go win. Let it go. And I think that, and I think that exact thing, you know, the, pe- the blown penalty call from last year is going to do one of two things for the Saints. Either it's going to fuel the crap out of them and they're just going to stomp all over the NFL this year. Or it's going to be so demoralizing that it, it just kind of brings them back down to earth. That they underachieve. That they could even possibly not make the playoffs. I think the former is going to happen. I think this is going to fuel them. But I wouldn't necessarily be shocked if the latter happened where this drags them into the ground. So I can't wait, but very well-deserved extension for Michael Thomas. He's a top five receiver in the league. Um, You're bonkers if you don't believe me. But it is what it is. Thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Keith Jacobs. This is Crazy Opinionated. Um, I love this podcast. I'm a, this is one of my favorite things in the world. So uh, I hope you love it too. If you do, please share it with your friends. You can find it here on Anchor. You can find it on Spotify. Um, you can also go ahead and follow me on Sport Talk. Uh, which is a social media website for sports fans. So if that's what you're into, go right ahead and jump on that. But um, again, thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it.